An unknown author once said that diversity is a fact. Equity is a choice. Inclusion is an action. But belonging, that's an outcome. As public transportation leaders, we have an opportunity to lead and engage our respective communities through our ability to be diverse and inclusive internally and offer services equitably that provide access to life's necessities and pleasures. I often compare public transportation networks to the veins in one's body. Just as the flow of blood gives life to your body, the flow of people breathes life into your city or community. That's Bakara Malden of Memphis Area Transit Authority. Welcome to Transit Unplugged, the world's number one transit executive podcast. I'm Julie Gates, Director of Marketing for Trapeze, and today I'm turning the tables on our regular host, Paul Comfort. He is going to be a guest on today's episode. Today we'll be talking about his upcoming book, Conversations on Equity and Inclusion in Public Transportation. How are you doing, Paul? Well, I'm doing okay. I've been better. I got a cold today, but doing all right. I'm sorry about your cold. That's no fun. No, but I'm happy to talk about a very important topic today, which is the topic of equity and inclusion in public transportation and what so many of our transit leaders are doing on this very important subject matter. You have a book coming out, so let's talk about that. Why did you decide to take on this important topic? Yeah, because uh, no one else had, to be honest with you. I uh, I looked at what was there. I talked to some publishers, and people were working on things. I've been to a lot of seminars. There's been a lot of uh, articles written about it, but there hasn't been a book written about it that I know of, especially from the perspective of what transit agencies are doing. So as you know, Julie, I've spent over 30 years of my life in public transportation and local government and uh, ended up as CEO of the MTA in Baltimore, one of the top 12 transit systems in the country. And it's important for me to have CEOs and top executives of transit agencies have the opportunity to talk about kind of their lives or stories and what they're doing unplugged, which is why this is called Unplugged. And the book is kind of an extension of that in the sense that I wanted transit leaders, especially across America, and, I, and I, one of them is a friend of mine from Australia that joined us from Metro Trains Melbourne. But um, I wanted them to talk about what they're doing right now to improve equity and inclusion, practical, hands-on, what you could do right now so other transit agencies could learn from them because shining the light on best practices is really what you know I've been doing for the last five years. Well, at what levels of transit are we seeing a greater need right now for equity and inclusion? Are we talking at leadership and career advancement? Are we talking about how our systems were actually designed and where public systems were put and roads were put? Um, what kinds of accessibility we're offering to community? Like what level are we, are we discussing? Yeah, it's all those, Julie. I mean, you nailed it. Uh, I think that um, during the COVID pandemic, it really gave public transportation agencies an opportunity to reflect on, you know, what I call the reason to try, right? What's our reason to exist? Um, I remember back in 2016, going to a CEO, an APTA CEO event, and all the buzz was about, you know, what are we going to do to get more people back on the bus? Ridership had been in a five to seven year decline in our industry. And there was a lot of push and Houston, Tom Lambert in Houston really put together a plan to figure out where people are going today and to reboot bus networks, the routes, uh, all of them to meet those needs. And that worked. In 2017, 18, and 19, we saw increases. And then we thought 20 was going to be an amazing year. And then we had the pandemic. Right. And we went right back down to where we were before, except worse, worse ridership than we've ever had in, in decades. And so 
if, if our primary focus in public transportation is just about commuters in and out of what I call the big tall buildings in our downtown cities, if that's our primary focus, well, then, you know, we weren't getting that done. And so it gave transit agencies a chance to refocus and what they feel like they could do to uh, to meet the needs of people who are riders or potential riders. And that's where this book comes into play. Because really what people came up with was, in addition to commuter, which is still important, but because of hybrid work schedules, it doesn't look like we're going back to a Monday to Friday, full on, you know, AM, PM peak period anymore, anytime in the near future. Transit agency said, you know what, we can actually improve the lives of people beyond just commuters which they've been trying to do, but this gives them an opportunity to open up the doors even more and to serve communities maybe that have traditionally been underserved, that haven't had the higher frequencies, that haven't had bus shelters out in the communities. Instead, they were all reserved for downtown for the commuters, those kind of things, amenities, which transit agencies could say, now we can do it. We can actually use our transit agency to improve the lives of everyone and give them access to all of life's opportunities. This is so exciting. It's definitely needed, and it's been needed to be done for a long time. Um, who is the industry leaving behind? Are there any groups we need to better support? Yeah. You know, I spent much of my career working with people with disabilities. I started out that way, working for a Department of Aging, and have committed much of my career to ensuring that people with disabilities, or as diverse abilities, as Robbie likes to call them. Yeah, I like that word. We should probably throw in who Robbie is for people listening. Robbie Mackinnon, yeah, um, who started Ride KC Freedom. And uh put together the concept of microtransit and paratransit in one. Um, so uh, they have traditionally been underserved and the Civil Rights Act of the ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act, helped us address that. But there are other groups who have been traditionally underserved. I think the elderly, the disabled, people of color. There's been uh, groups where, you know, as I said, if the transit agency was focused on the white collar workers getting downtown and they had the highest frequency routes, perhaps, you know, Aunt Thelma out in the community could only get on a bus once an hour. And that, you know, it's a shame. She has to go out and stand at the bus stop for 45 minutes in the heat. It's just not fair. Right. And so this is what this opportunity, this window of time is all about. And I hope this book will help transit agencies analyze what other people are doing and say, you know what, we could do that here. I know some of the solutions that you're covering in the book, I'm excited to hear more about. I come from a company that did a lot of this. Tell us about how microtransit is helping agencies better serve equity and inclusion for their communities. Sure. Well, that's actually the chapter that I wrote in the book. Uh, the book is a compilation, by the way, of interviews. That's why it's called Conversations. I've, uh, I've had conversations with over 20 of America's top public transit leaders to ask them about that. And I wrote one chapter, and it's about the power of microtransit. You know, on-demand transportation, kind of like what, you know, maybe people remember being called Uber Pool, uh, if it, it, it an analogy for you. It's very important right now. There are areas, let's let's use some examples because most transit agencies are piloting this. So um, out in Las Vegas, my friend MJ Maynard, who runs um, the RTC there, she said, Paul, there's areas of what we call transit deserts, places where they haven't had public transit really like they needed to. There's not enough people there to merit a 40-foot bus. But we can try to send them on demand that they can order it over their phone or, their, or an app. We can pick them up along with a couple other people and get them where they need to go. So microtransit is almost like a layer, a safety net 
on top of the routes that are in place now because people are rebooting their bus networks again after COVID because as I mentioned, you know, we basically have turned into Tuesday through Thursday cities now, by the way. Many major cities. I was just talking to somebody this week who said, yeah, it's just Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. That's when we're seeing people come downtown. So it's a Tuesday through Thursday downtown area now. What about the rest of the people who need public transportation to get where they need to go? Microtransit is a layer to ensure no one is left behind. Oh, it's great. And it's really a good solution for the first mile, last mile conundrum, isn't it? It is. That's another way to use it. Um, you know, Brad down in um, in Pinellas County first started that five years ago, whatever, with Uber and then I think Lyft, where they were using it as a last mile solution. So a lot of transit agencies are using microtransit for transit deserts, for last mile solutions, but also to make sure that um, people that maybe traditionally haven't really had uh, the frequency of service they need have the opportunity to do it. And it's not always more expensive to run microtransit. There's been some analyses done that show that running a 40-foot bus to places where there's not enough justification with the fare recovery ratios and those kind of things, it makes more sense to send microtransit. And we've been able to use some of the new funds that came from the federal government as a way to pilot those ideas. It's another good tool in the toolbox, right? That's right. Well, Conversations on Equity and Inclusion in Public Transportation coming out in October. It's Paul Comfort's latest book. Why don't you talk a little bit about how fair payment is a part of the conversation? Yeah, that's a good one. So um, several transit agencies, including Julie Tim, my friend in Richmond, who's now going to Sound Transit, and others have um, kind of been talking about zero fares, the opportunity to not charge anybody fares. Um other people have tried it for various groups. So perhaps it is people with disabilities. Perhaps it is students. Perhaps it is um, veterans. Other people are saying, you know what? <clears throat> we can't really do without fares completely, but we can try to make them more suitable to um, the usages that people are having now. So fare capping is a big one, right? So you may not have enough money to buy a $100 pass for the month, but when you hit a certain amount of trips, it's capped out on what it would be if you had purchased a month-long pass. Other people are saying, you know what? We've only offered month-long passes in the past to get that discounted rate. Let's offer that to people who maybe can't afford a hundred bucks at one time. Maybe we can offer a smaller package, you know, for a week at a time or uh, two weeks at a time or three trips, three round trips a week. Since a lot of people are doing this Tuesday through Thursday commuting again, or their needs aren't necessarily to their job, but maybe they need to go to adult daycare. Maybe they need to go to dialysis. So these type of, um, uh, I would call them products, fair products, uh, our new approaches that transit agencies are trying. There's lots of different approaches. And uh, it's like our, our, our leader, Peter Rogoff, the former FTA administrator who's just retiring from uh, Sound Transit said, his, my favorite quote of his is, if you've seen one transit system, you've seen one transit system. <laughs> and uh, I love that because That's it's great. so true. I love yeah, that. Because you've got statewide yeah. agencies like NJT or MTA that I used to lead. And then you've, or Connecticut CT Transit, then you've got, you know, city transit agencies that are run by a city government, like King County Metro is run by the county. It's part of the county government. Uh, and, you know, Terry White there, who's in the book, you know, reports up to the county government. Others have a standalone authority, like WMATA, Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority, or SEPTA, Southeast Pennsylvania Transportation Authority. So they have their own boards of directors appointed by multiple jurisdictions who are responsible to oversee and fund that transit agency. So, in, in that there's such a diversity of approaches, there's also a diversity of opinions and ideas on how we can handle fairing. And I think we've covered a lot of them right now. Yeah. Well, I've heard pros and cons on all sides. It's an interesting conversation taking place. Another issue I hear a lot about with equity and inclusion involves city planning. 
how can that impact this work? Yeah, there, that's great, Julia. That, that's like a layer deeper than a lot of people are looking. And it's talked about yeah. in the book. Some of these routes that were laid out in the past really weren't laid out with everyone in mind, ensuring that we, we transport everyone. They were laid out with certain groups in mind, just like some roads were. And so this is an opportunity for transit agencies and city governments and the the public transportation MPOs, metropolitan planning organizations, to all work together to make sure that the routes that are planned are serving really where the needs are right now today. There's another big aspect of it, which is the complete streets idea. And uh, one of the guests in the book is the former secretary of transportation from California and talks about from a statewide level, how it's so important to make sure that our streets are safe and that they're designed not just for cars, but also designed for bikers, for pedestrians, and for people who want to access public transportation, but might have to cross the street to get there. Let's make sure that their curbs are you know, safe and all the kind of things that are involved in that. Um, you know, Valerie Nielsen, who heads up the Transportation Planning Agency in Palm Beach County is a big leader in this across the country as well, making sure that our complete streets are safe streets for all. Mm, very good point. I know that public-private partnerships are a really important part to the future of transit. How is the private sector helping with equity and inclusion? That's great. And that's why I included a section in the book. It's not just uh, public agency representatives, but there's also some companies involved, like Bridget Beato is in the book. She's the head of Luminor Consulting. Uh, Freddie Fuller and some of his team from Jacobs is there. We've got folks from APTA on there, uh, folks from some of the companies that you and I work with as well, talking about the importance of making sure that the workplace looks like the community it serves, making sure that the leadership team looks like the community serves. For instance, Trapeze, the company that I first started working for before I went to work for Medaxo, the parent company, um, the leadership team is made up of more than 50% women. I think that's something that should be celebrated. Traditionally in transit, it's been a a white male dominated world in management. Let's just call it like it is. I can say so, right? Because I am one. And um, (laughs) But I think transit agencies have have realized that we need to make the senior leadership team and our board members uh, look like the communities they serve because it's really in that diversity, that beautiful diversity of everyone we serve, that we hear all the voices. And perhaps that's why in the past the bus routes themselves haven't served everyone because the people that were making decisions weren't familiar with all these communities or weren't familiar with their needs. So by having uh, more representation of uh, diverse backgrounds, you know, whether it's communities or ethnicities or whatever, having them involved in the planning of the routes and of execution of what we're doing, I think makes sure that we're serving our communities in totality in a much better way. Mm, well said. You know, you're also making me think you're talking about getting more diversity within the leadership, and then that trickles down to actually what the products are and how we're providing great services. So how are agencies ensuring equity and inclusion are a part of their service modes? Like, let's get down to the real nitty gritty. Yeah. Well, again, frequency is freedom. Like Kevin Quinn says, my friend uh, who was planning director who set up our Baltimore link program in Baltimore and now is in uh, is in Canada. But um, yeah, so frequency, I think, is one of the keys. We need to make sure that the service routes, yeah, that people don't have to wait an hour. We also need to make sure that people have information. Uh, I'm a big believer in how technology is helping to kind of level the playing field with everyone, right? So um, some people might be able to uh, you know, afford an Uber to get where they're going. Um, other people may not be able to afford an Uber right now, and they want to go directly to the bus stop and wait. So an Uber comes to you or Userve or some of these other adaptive TNCs will come to you on a pre-scheduled time on your phone that you set up. Why shouldn't everyone have that opportunity? So if you're going to a bus stop, why shouldn't you be able to see on your phone? And you know, over 90% of the people have phones now, the studies have shown. Why can't you see that 
on your phone to see when the bus is going to be there. Or if you don't have a phone, why isn't there a screen in the major bus stops that says next bus arriving in three minutes and you can see the bus on the map? Why can't we have that for everyone? So technology needs to be there for everyone. And then other people are doing things like uh, we just did a show, amazing show about what's happening down in San Antonio where they've got a chat bot. I love that. Yeah. And um, yeah. And so, you know, you can on, you can eventually call in right now it's online where you can have many of your common questions answered immediately. I got to tell you, everybody gets frustrated over this. Me probably as much as anyone else. It's hard to get people on the phone now for customer service. A lot of times you have to go through a big menu and push all these buttons and then it circles you around. Just had that happen to me twice this week. So making sure that the accurate information is available to everyone right now is a key to ensuring customer service is followed. Julie Apta, the American Public Transportation Association, did a survey last year of all of their members. And for the first time in memory, Ridership was no longer the top key performance indicator that's measuring our success. Public transit agencies have made a choice and they have decided that customer service, that customer experience is number one, then it's ridership. And then number three is is new forms of mobility. So those are really what this book is about. It's about putting the customer first, not just the traditional white collar commuter worker who's going to the big tall buildings downtown, but everyone who needs public transportation. In the middle of the pandemic, we realized when we told people, you can only ride the bus if you are an essential worker. Our bus routes in the downtown area still maintained about 50% ridership. So we realized that really the wheels on the bus that go round and round are also the wheels that make our economy turn and that we are essential. We're an essential service to make sure that you know the water plant runs, the electric plant runs, people are in the hospital, in the pharmacy, the doctor's office, these employees get there. And now we're taking that really that realization and putting it into practice and how we run our transit agencies and plan our routes and plan the multiple services that are around them. We are no longer just the provider of mobility. We're now an aggregator of all the mobility services in a city, public and private. This is going to be a great handbook for anyone working in the transit industry. It's coming out in October, Conversations on Equity and Inclusion in Public Transportation. Paul, I know a big part of the book is really dedicated to the people that you admire in our industry who are doing it right. Who are a few of those people? Yeah, that's right. So I kick it off with Alex Wiggins. Alex has really become, he's the CEO of NORDA, the the New Orleans Regional Transportation Authority. Uh, He's really become a symbol uh, in in the country for doing things right. He's he's looking at everything through the lens of equity and inclusion. And um, he and I just put together uh, a speaking proposal to go to the international uh, UITP summit in Barcelona next year to speak on this topic. India Birdsong, the general manager of Greater Cleveland, is on it. Robbie Mackin, as I mentioned, Adelie Legrand from Tampa, Florida. Noah Berger uh, from Merrimack County has all kinds of neat things he's doing. Julie Tim, Inez Evans from Indigo, Brad Miller, who I mentioned earlier, uh, was one of the first ones to sign on to the APTA pledge for equity and inclusion. Paul Tolliver, who's a dear friend and and often seen as a CEO whisperer, a Hall of Fame member, he talks about the history of equity and inclusion in the United States in public transit. Then we go overseas and talk to Natalie Tilly Loborough, who's general manager of Metro Trains Melbourne, and really interesting 
insights into what equity and inclusion means there, which is sometimes um, taking people from war-torn countries like Bosnia and making sure or making sure that uh, people from there are able to get jobs when they come to Australia. And then we take a, a larger look. David Kim, former Secretary of Transportation in California, gives us a statewide perspective. And then my new friend, Veronica Vanderpool, who's Deputy Administrator of the Federal Transit Administration, also talks about a national perspective. As mentioned, we have a number of people from APTA who talk about their, their kind of programs they're doing. And then we look at Proterra, Luminor Consulting, Jacobs, uh, and several other con- companies about what they're doing right now. And we close it off with my good friend, Terry White, who talks about how public transportation has made a difference in his life from a child riding public transportation to get to school. We had him recently at our Think Transit conference, and I don't think there was a dry eye in the place when he talked about the role that public transportation has has uh, played in his life and how it's really made a difference. And now he leads the agency in Seattle. So those are some of the people who are involved in the book and so thankful that they're able to share their stories and hopefully they will be inspirational and informational to other transit agencies to show kind of a a light on the path of how we can move forward in this important area. Yeah, it's really a who's who of the transit industry, isn't it? It is, and and I'm so thankful yeah. that they all agreed to participate. It's kind of like my my other book, um, The Future of Public Transportation, where I had 40 of the world's leading experts. I think it's important not to just have my voice on it, but to have the sure. voices of all of these people. And on today's podcast, we'll share a couple of their thoughts and insights. Well, that's you though, Paul. And I, I'm probably going to embarrass you by saying this, but I've never found you being the person trying to get the center of the attention. I feel like you are trying to be the light that shines back out into the industry and reflects all the good that's going on every day within our transit agencies. Well, thank you. That is my goal. And that's why in the podcast, we, you know, it's not me talking the whole time. It's me interviewing other people, asking them, what are you doing right now? Tell us about your lives and your careers. I think that many of them can be emulated. And the, what we see in this book are other great examples of putting into practice right now. That's what the book is, a practical guideline of how to add equity and inclusion in your agency by making sure your agency has the proper practices in place to ensure that everyone has a chance to rise in the agency and also your city or your region. Okay. One last question, then I'll let you go. I can just tell this is really, it's it's personal to you covering this topic. Tell me a story about why equity inclusion matters to you, Paul Comfort, the person. It is. Um, you know, I, I think you know this, Julie, but I was my dad was a minister, and I was raised real active in the church. Um, and to be honest with you, in Virginia, there was segregation going on when I was younger, and my dad was very strong in his stance against that. And there's a lot of stories I could tell you about that. Um, and uh, then we moved to Maryland, and um, I really have spent my life uh, – I'm passionate about – improving people's lives. I didn't feel like my calling, so to speak, was to go into you know the church ministry, but I feel like what I do for my job is like a ministry. I can't tell you how I used to feel. My first job for seven years when I was um, director of transportation for my home county, Queen Anne's County, Maryland, for the Department of Aging. And uh, we started a small public bus system here that won CTAA's award in 91 for the best in America. But I, the, the feelings I have when I went home after personally helping people who were disabled or elderly get to where they need to go, where they needed to go, uh, they absolutely needed us. We were essential for them. And I've translated that in, you know, I worked at Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority as the director of operations for their ADA paratransit for five years and saw it on a grand scale, you know, the fourth largest uh, paratransit system in America. And then what we did in Baltimore with our paratransit system there becoming number one on KPIs with some of the team there leading it. So I've been passionate about ensuring that people with disabilities get access to all of life's opportunities. This, in my mind, is taking it to the next level. And uh, this is an important moment. It's not a moment that comes along very often 
where we get to reevaluate and reexamine what is it we're doing as an industry. And I think we came out of it as a better industry. We've got a new focus to, you know, have um, equity and inclusion, to have environmental stewardship, to use our public transit agencies for more than just transporting people from A to B, but actually improving the lives of the tens of millions of people who utilize our services or who need to utilize them on a regular basis. That's why it's personal to me. And the timing is so perfect with that APTA survey saying we're putting customers number one now. As we we know in our hearts, we always have, but now it's on a list. There you go. Earlier today, Paul talked with Alex Wiggins, CEO of the New Orleans Regional Transit Authority, about the importance of equity and inclusion in transit and what he's doing for his region. Paul, I just want to say thank you to begin with, with uh, your focus on this issue uh, across the industry. It's really important that we're, we're all mindful of it. So again, thank you for your, your attention to this issue. So as a, as a leader in transit, you know, especially as uh, the CEO or any executive leader, it's critical that we are intentional about our efforts to focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion, not just, you know, for our workforce, but I think most importantly, uh, the folks who depend upon us to travel to their destinations every day. Uh, we need to be mindful about our service, service standards, our levels, the amenities that go along with providing transportation to communities that need us more than ever. And I think, you know, the uh, pandemic really pointed that out is the folks that were first responders that were critical to our economy were also reliant upon transit. So as a leader, we just have to be intentional to ensure that we provide the best service possible. And what are you doing practically there in New Orleans to implement that? Oh, a couple of different things. You know, one, we actually developed what we call a, a race and social justice toolkit that allows us to ask ourselves a series of questions uh, about how we provide transit service. Is there going to be an adverse impact on a community? Is this going to improve the quality of transit service or are we going to degrade it? How are we focused on who we do business with, et cetera? So with this Race and Social Justice Toolkit, it's on our website. Folks can learn more about that. But we really apply that as a lens to all of our decision-making. And, and the second thing, most recently, is we completely redesigned our bus routes, a complete bus system redesign to focus on better connections to school, better connections to work, better connections throughout the entire city, and more service, especially in those areas uh, where we almost had transit deserts where we weren't providing the type of service that we wanted to. So we increased frequency. We had more late night and overnight service for those 24-7 uh, uh, workers, you know, that work around the clock. And we wanted to have, you know, shorter wait times. And again, serving communities like New Orleans East and the West Bank that historically have not had, um, you know, premier transit service. Alex, these are the exact kind of practical ideas we're looking for in this book. And you, you've shared some here today, but there's a lot more with you and all the other guests that are in the book. 20 of the nation's top leaders in public transportation sharing practical steps on what they can do right now. Thank you for being the lead interview in our book and kicking off the way as America's really preeminent transit evangelist for equity and inclusion. Thanks so much, Paul. 
fall. Tell us when Conversations on Equity and Inclusion in Public Transportation comes out. Yes, well, we're going to do a book launch at APTA's Transform Conference on October 10th at 12.30 p.m. on the trade show floor in the Vontus booth. We're going to be giving away copies of the book there. We encourage people to come by and get an autographed copy. A number of the CEOs who wrote in the book that I mentioned will be there signing it, taking pictures with you if you like. It'll be great. And uh, then you'll be able to purchase it shortly thereafter at places like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and others. We started today's show with Bakara Malden of Memphis Area Transit Authority, and let's close today's episode with more insights from her from Paul's upcoming book. Paul is a lifelong leader in the public transportation industry, a friend and thoughtful advisor. His supportive and inclusive nature has been a constant source of support for me personally and professionally, and has been so also for other professionals in the industry for many years. Paul is a master at connecting people. And in this book, he connects his readers that have many diverse perspectives with the people who are telling their stories. It includes conversations with more than a dozen top transit executives who are discussing what they are currently doing in their agencies. This book is a must-read for transit agency leaders and staff alike. And it includes commentary on what agencies across the country are doing to implement equity and inclusion in their transit agencies and systems. I hope that after reading this book, you are inspired to incorporate even more equity and inclusion practices into your workplace and communities. After all, the people are counting on us. It does matter. Happy reading. Thanks for joining us for Transit Unplugged. We want to make sure you also check out Transit Unplugged TV on YouTube. You'll get to see a lot of great adventures where Paul travels around and shows us all the great things taking place in transit. Thank you, Julie, for getting behind the mic, stepping in as guest interviewer to put a spotlight on Paul and his important work. And thank you to Alex Wiggins and Bakara Malden, who read from her foreword from the book. And next week on Transit Unplugged News and Views, we have Suhair Al-Khatib talking with Paul about Metrorail. Don't forget to go to transitunplugged.com, sign up for the newsletter so you're always in the loop with whatever is going on with the podcast and the TV show. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on Transit Unplugged, please feel free to email us anytime at info at transitunplugged.com. So until next week, ride safe and ride happy.